0: this morning I spoke about the purification that is possible through watching and substituting our thoughts. The same applies to our emotions. The Buddha said quite clearly that there are only four emotions which are worth cultivating and having, which are useful for our inner peace and harmony and which are the kind of emotions which will help us in our quest for spiritual truth. These four are called the four Brahma Viharas. A Vihara is an abode, a place to live. And the Brahmas are the highest gods, So they have two meanings for that. The first meaning is that these are the emotions which are in the God realms and secondly that if we have only those and have perfected them we have heaven on earth. We have now already perfected our inner emotional life to such an extent when we have those four emotions that we feel quite heavenly. We all know those emotions, we've all had them. The only problem is that we lose them again and then have others. And when we have their opposites, then we certainly don't feel as if we were in heaven. On the contrary, we feel like we're in hell. The first one, in Pali, METTA, M-E-T-T-A. It's being translated into English as loving-kindness, with a hyphen in the middle which doesn't really tell enough about it because it's not a word that we usually have in our vocabulary, unless we have been practicing this uh, kind of um, path. So I like to translate it as love. Everybody has some idea what that's supposed to mean. And it also has, as a word, much more impact on us. We might like it, dislike it, hope for it, pray for it, reject it, whatever. We have a relationship to love, whereas we probably haven't got much of a relationship to loving-kindness. We think it's nice, sounds good, but what is it? The relationship we have to the emotion of love is, without a doubt, not the one that the Buddha had in mind and in his heart, and certainly not what metta means. The ordinary, everyday kind of relationship that we have with this emotion is one which produces quite a lot of suffering and that isn't what love is all about It's just the opposite It's certainly (coughs) not a brahma vihara if it produces suffering The way we look at it, usually and the way we relate to it and use it is a relationship to one person and then possibly to two or three or four maybe and this one-to-one relationship is supposed to be the one that's supposed to provide us with love On a globe where we have something like four billion people, we pick out one, and then are supposed to have this one and keep it, and that's supposed to be love. What it is, it's a social system, which has a certain um, justification because it provides us also with responsibility, and it unfortunately produces either clinging and attachment or rejection and resistance because it isn't unconditional Metta as love is unconditional it has absolutely no strings attached none whatsoever In fact, it is nothing but a quality of the heart. And when we have cultivated that quality of the heart and have brought it about within us, then there is no question about to whom to give it or to get it back in equal measure or to withhold it from some and hand it out to others has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. That kind of attitude, the usual one, is a marketplace attitude. If I give, I want to get. If I sell, I want to be paid. It's the way we have our ordinary marketplace, daily life situation. And it is also connected with the fact that we judge who is lovable. Now, if we make a real good assessment, a a real assessment in depth, whether we can find someone who is utterly, completely and totally lovable we would have to find an enlightened one everybody else has their six roots in place three good ones and three bad ones that includes all of us greed, hate and delusion and on the other side of the same coin, generosity, love, and wisdom. And since those six interact with each other constantly in a non-enlightened person, and we can just check it up on ourselves and see whether that's so, (coughs) nobody who isn't enlightened is totally lovable. So then when we think we have found somebody and then time takes its toll or somebody thinks they've found us and time takes its toll, it all changes, doesn't it? Most people have several novels they could write about it. It's a kind of difficulty which seems to have one of the most unfortunate repercussions of emotional instability and uh, restlessness in people's lives. But it's not because that person who's suffering from it is not lovable or because that person isn't capable of loving it's because we're looking at it in a totally wrong way we're using it as if it was a saleable item that we could barter between two people it's got nothing to do with that at all that item that we can barter between two people we might call attraction got nothing to do with love. The word love is not even remotely connected with that. Just as intelligence is a quality of the mind, so love is a quality of the heart. And the more of that we give out the more we've got. It's as simple as that. And if we'd really like to feel it instead of going out to look for someone who will give it to us. It's an absurdity. If we'd really like to feel it, we've got to give it out. Because if we find somebody who's going to give it to us, that's that person's love. And all it does for us, it supports our notion of which we are sometimes, which we sometimes doubt, that we are lovable. That's all it does because somebody has been kind enough to think so. It's very nice if somebody's kind enough to think so, but it's got nothing to do with our own heart quality. Nothing at all. Our own heart quality has to be developed by ourselves without any question of getting something back. If we do, that's fine but it has nothing to do with it when we go to school college, universities we are very well trained along the way to use our mind productively every bit of education we get for years and years and years is geared in that direction Use the mind productively. There's nowhere a school or a college or university that can teach us to use our heart productively. We've got to teach ourselves. And most of the time we will have to have a fair bit of dukkha, a fair bit of pain, grief and lamentation, unsatisfactoriness, unfulfilledness until it finally dawns on us that we need to do something about it in many cases it never dawns on some people they still think that there ought to be somebody there to love them with a population of millions of people all around us, we have every opportunity to have a heart full of love. But it doesn't even depend on that, whether there are millions or billions, or whether there's nobody. Because if we sit down to solve a mathematical equation, or learn a poem, we use our intelligence. We don't lose that intelligence when we don't do that, when we don't learn a poem or solve an equation. The mind remains just as intelligent. The same with a loving heart. It has that love feeling in it. Now, love has to be something that is non-judgmental as soon as we start judging we haven't got a chance because judgment is based on opinion and our opinion and the truth are miles apart and our opinions which can be positive or negative change just as much as everything else in this universe the whole universe constantly contracts and expands. Our opinions, our viewpoints, our thoughts, everything changes. And if we base our love feeling in the heart upon our judgment, we can never be sure of it. A heart that is loving is a heart that's accepting. Accepting and embracing itself, oneself, and everything else that arises. Now, obviously, there are people in the world, and we've all come across them and have been confronted with them, who are most unpleasant. But that, too, doesn't matter. If we should try to protect ourselves, our heart, and limit ourselves only to those people who are pleasant, we'll constantly have to be on the lookout, watchful, careful, so that we don't allow love to flow out to those who apparently don't deserve it. Again, we're judgmental, we're judge and ju- jury, and possibly, it is possible, that those people who are so unpleasant, they mightn't deserve it, but they might need it much more than somebody else. Whether they admit it or not has nothing to do with it. Loving others is not dependent upon their expressing a need or their ability to give the love back or even their gratitude for it or even their recognition of being loved it has nothing to do with what happens as a result of it because the result is immediate within one's own heart when the heart loves what do we feel? love (coughs) and that's what people usually would like feel but they think they've got it to get it from outside it has to come from someone else or it has to happen because they finally found the one person where they can actually love it's a very dicey situation we may never find that one person or we may find like most people that we've made a mistake after a while because we are again judge and jury. So it never develops our heart quality. And if we don't develop our heart quality, our mind quality will be equally impaired. I like to compare that to being in the ocean. If our emotions, our negative emotions are running high, then it is like being under a huge wave, just like in the ocean, where we ca- all we can see then is the water of that wave. And in order to see into the depth of the ocean, we will have to wait till it all comes down again And we have a totally calm and unruffled expanse through which we can look into the depths where the sand and the shells and the coral can be seen. It's the same with our mind. If our emotions run high, all we can see is the passion or the anger. We can't see into the depths of what's really true so therefore it stands to reason that the purification of emotion is absolutely essential for clarity of thought and this is another formula which you might be able to remember purification of emotion brings clarification of thought and if we pride ourselves upon our logic and reason and our ability to understand and to see straight. It can only be as far as our emotions are positive. Doesn't mean that we have to control them. It means that we have to change them. Just as with our thinking process. The far enemy of love is, of course, hate, which is quite easy to see. But the near enemy is attachment. And that's a little more difficult because it's considered to be something good in our society, to be attached to certain people. But it is an enemy of the purity of love, because it keeps us chained with that attachment to just a few people. And if we are attached to something, we can't go into any distance. If I'm attached to this pillow here, I'm afraid I'd have to stay here, can't go to bed. So the attachment to a few people prevents us from going further but that's not the only problem with attachment the other problem with attachment is fear if we base our ability to love on the fact that there are one or two people available to us do not change their minds love us back, do not die or disappear. If we have that dependence, then of course we're afraid that those people might get lost. And we cannot fear what we love. We can only fear what we hate. Not that we hate those people. We hate the idea of losing them. And therefore our love which has this attachment in it, cannot be pure. It is a love which is tinged with fear. And because of that, we have all these funny games that people play. They want to keep that other person as if we could keep anything or anyone. We can't even keep a single thought neither can we keep the attention on the breath (laughs) so there we want to keep a whole person the attachment has one positive aspect doesn't have only negative aspects the positive aspect is that in a situation where we have a one-to-one relationship and we have love for that other person, is that we at least learn to recognize what it feels like to love and can use that as a seedbed for expanding our heart quality. If we use it in that way, we're using it to the best advantage if we're not using in that way, if we want to keep, if we want to retain, if we have the idea of equal measure of return, then we are limiting ourselves and hurting (coughs) our own ability to actually love. This is the only good part about And it is very valuable because we, most people, if not all, need to learn to love. It's a very strange phenomena in humanity that many people find it very difficult to love themselves unless they've already taken steps learn it and if we don't love ourselves although we may think we do we don't love others either love is centered within our own heart and from that center it cannot skip the nearest one and go further it's got to start right at the center In Christianity we have the injunction love thy neighbor as thyself which all of us have heard from the time we were small and it says quite clearly love yourself and then you can love your neighbor. Now loving oneself is not indulging oneself. It's not trying to get most Pleasant sense contacts. Doesn't mean that at all. On the contrary. That could mean escaping. And it often does. Trying to get more and better sense pleasures is very often an escape, trying not to look at things the way they really are. Loving oneself means accepting oneself the way one is, Loving oneself one, because one is a child of this universe takes one's place in it and with that which is enough for love we can accept others in the same way just because they're all children of this universe happen to be present at the same time that we are, happen to be near us, happen to share this globe with us, happen to share the air we breathe, might even share some of our thoughts. That's enough. There doesn't have to be any special quality. That person doesn't have to be always right, always beautiful, always attractive always clever, nothing of the sort. Neither are we ourselves always beautiful, attractive, clever, and all the rest of it. Is there any reason not to love ourselves? We love what is there, not what we would like to see there. Our greatest problems arise from the fact that we are not satisfied with the way things are we want them different now there are certain things which we can change and the main one is our own attitude the main thing we can change our reactions and if we take steps to do that we're going to live in a different world the world does not remain the same if our attitudes have changed our problem of wanting to change things is that we resist the way things are we don't like it so we want to change it but we are very often most of the time unable to change so because we don't like the way things are we are resisting and rejecting the laws of nature the laws of nature which all of us proclaim which none of us would like to see until we start practicing the laws of nature are anicca, dukkha, anatta impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, corelessness the laws of nature are that we decay and die we don't want to know about it there's no tragedy these laws of nature, the tragedy arises the moment we don't like them. When we don't like it the way it is, then we have Dukkha. But if we see it as what it is, then there's nothing that can stop us from feeling love and peace. And this applies to ourselves and others. The way we are. That doesn't mean that we can't grow. If we have a small child, we love it the way it is. Maybe it can't walk yet and falls down all the time. Maybe it doesn't know how to go to the toilet. Maybe it doesn't speak very well yet. We love it as it is at that moment. That doesn't mean it's not going to grow. It's the same with us and the same with everybody else. The Buddha compared us all to children. He said, we're like children playing in a house on fire. And because we're so attached to our toys, we don't want to jump out. Now it's very helpful to check up what the toys are that we're so attached to. The house on fire is samsara the round of birth and death and because there are so many nice toys there to play with people and cars and computers and airplanes and beautiful scenery and dogs and cats and flowers and the sky and the sun and the moon it's all very nice so we don't want to jump out so we're like children And if we are like children, that means we can grow. But that doesn't mean we are not to be loved the way we are. And this applies to everyone. If we educate our heart, we will find that our relationship with the world around us, people and otherwise, becomes much easier we don't feel so much stress anymore (coughs) the stress that we feel is because we have an idea about ourselves filled with expectation and an idea about others also filled with expectation and since all expectations have built-in, disappointment, we're never at ease. It isn't working out. There's too much to be done, too much to judge, too much to discriminate. A loving heart doesn't have all that trouble. It just loves. Very simple. No worries about how it should be and how it shouldn't be. We've got to start with ourselves. We have a wonderful laboratory which we carry around with us. Everything exists within it. All the miseries and all the pleasantries. Everything is there. (coughs) All we have to do is look at it objectively and then realize this is the way humanity is. The whole of the universe lies in this fathom-long body and mind. Everybody can be found within oneself. Now if that becomes clear to us, we have an enormous support system to educate our heart to love because what it means is that we're actually not separate from each other now this can also become a meditative experience not just a word or a hope a sentence we're all one we don't really feel it do we that we're all one we all look so different all these different little heaps sitting on pillows and everybody has a different look about them and everybody seems to think something else and so forth. So we don't really feel that <coughs> oneness. When it comes in meditation, of course, it's no longer to be disputed. But even without that, we can realize and recognize that our own inner life, our own problems, our own difficulties are mirrored in everyone else. There's no difference except possibly in the moment when they arrive. Everybody's got the same kind of problems. If that weren't so, the Buddha's words spoken two and a half thousand years ago would no longer be applicable. But even two and a half thousand years ago people had the same problems. Why would he have said all these things if that hadn't been so? So if we can have that kind of feeling about others we realize we have problems we know they have and if we recognize the fact that we're together on a small planet maybe even living in the same place then it may become a little easier to feel less of separation between us in reality it's an optical illusion our scientists have already said so about 35 years ago, or maybe even 40 years ago now. They made some experiments in a bubble chamber in America, and they found that there isn't a single solid building block in the whole of the universe. Everything that exists are energy particles coming together and falling apart. So, if they had, those scientists, included themselves, they'd be enlightened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But of course they didn't. They were the observers. Now we, as meditators, can include ourselves. There isn't a single solid building block, so that must include me too. So what is this what I see? an optical illusion because it falls apart and comes together so quickly that it appears to be together have you ever seen these very old fashioned ancient ways of making a movie before there were movie cameras they made drawings on little bits of paper and each piece of paper had the next movement on it and if you moved the papers quickly enough, it seemed as if the dog was running. You ever seen that? You just move it so quickly and the dog is running. But in actuality, there's just so many bits of paper that each one has a different drawing on it. Optical illusion, the same with us, optical illusion. We're not separate. It's all happening together, all the time. If we can get a little bit of that feeling within us, it's much easier to have the extension of lovingness towards others and oneself. Because if I love others, all I'm doing is embracing myself. It's all together. And this separation that we build up artificially between ourselves and others is constantly fraught with a feeling of incompleteness. And although we feel it, we don't know where it comes from. And we're always liable to blame someone else. They aren't nice, they aren't clever, they aren't pleasant, they aren't polite, whatever it may be. It's just a feeling of separation that we have which makes us feel incomplete. The second one of the four emotions is compassion, Karuna in Pali. Its far enemy is cruelty, which is easy to see. Its near enemy is pity, Now that's difficult to see and that's why it's called the near enemy. It's so similar that it's near and it appears to be the real thing but it's not. Having pity for someone else keeps us separate from the other person and it very often has also the appearance of Superiority, I'm so sorry this is happening to you, but I'm really glad it's not happening to me That could very easily be a feeling of pity but compassion is empathy com is with Passion, feeling, with feeling, empathy We feel connected with the other person having recognized our own dukkha and learned to live with it, deal with it, recognize it as a universal aspect of life, not a personal problem, we can then recognize that in another person and recognizing it in the other person, we can also see that there are maybe ways and means of dealing with it. If another person is sad, is having Dukkha, and we feel sad because of that, that doesn't help. Then we have, instead of one, we have double Dukkha. That doesn't solve anything. But having compassion with the other person may, it's not necessary that it happens, but it may, help the other person to see that there's a way out of it. Because we may be able to react from our own experience. It's often easier to have compassion with someone whom we don't like than having love. So we can start with compassion which can then turn into love. It's absolutely essential to know one's own Dukkha in order to have compassion. Only if we know our own Dukkha will we be able to deal with other people's Dukkha in a constructive and productive way. Constructive and productive means that we have found a way out. We have found that It isn't a personal problem. It's nothing but either wanting something we haven't got or wanting to get rid of something we have got. We can check up on all and every single problem that we've ever had or have now and see whether one of those two does not apply got to apply there is nothing else either we want something we haven't got or we want to get rid of something we have got that's all the dukkha there is and that's the first and second noble truth which we will speak about in more detail at another time but when we want to develop compassion within us with other people's problems It's absolutely essential that we've developed it for ourselves through the investigation of our own unsatisfied wishes. Most of our personal problems in the way of love and compassion, if not all of them, will arise because of other people. it's our attitude and reaction to other people and if we can see ourselves as part of a whole rather than the whole itself it's much easier to deal with our reactions to other people if we see ourselves as part of the whole community of Mankind Rather than just one single person We have a way in to our heart The spiritual path is a journey It's a journey of the shortest dimension And usually takes the longest time All it needs is the way in the way into our own heart and mind. That's the spiritual journey. There's no distance. We're connected with it all the time. And yet, it's so difficult to make that journey. What are the obstacles? What are the blockages that stop us from taking that journey? There are desires. The desires to have or to get rid of. That's all that stops us. We need to check that out ourselves. We don't need to believe it or disbelieve it. It's just as foolish to believe as it is to disbelieve. It needs to be checked out. Once we drop Desires that have particularly to do with our heart quality, once we mm-hmm. drop those, we're free. And when we are able to do that, we will find that we feel independent of the emotions of others nothing could be more freeing than that if we are able to cultivate our own heart quality of love and compassion and do not make it dependent upon anyone else whether they are present whether they are loving whether they want us whether they don't want us whether they actually actually have any interest, whether there is anybody at all, when we let go of that dependency and just cultivate our inner life and come to that ability of using our heart for what it was intended, namely loving, then we feel free. Whether other people love or not is of no concern. That's their problem. But the interesting thing is that if oneself gives out love to others, many people are inclined to respond in kind. That must not be the reason for doing so. But it is a natural way of being what they feel coming to them, they very often are able also to respond with. And we all have had that kind of situation happen to us where we feel somebody who's loving, we feel that love coming, and we can respond. So not only are we freeing and liberating ourselves by doing so, we may give others a chance to do likewise. What others are doing is always a secondary result. We're doing it for our own purification. That it has great impact on others is a natural effect of it, but it's not the reason that we do it. The reason that we do it is that there may be one more purified being in the whole of the universe. Therefore, making this world that we live in a much better place to live. In the first instance, we will find it difficult to love for love's sake. That's the only reason one should love. Loving-kindness meditation, which we did last night, which we will do every night, is a method. All methods will eventually have to go to make room for the reality. But we need methods. Methods to do it with. So that's nothing but a method. And it can be very effective. But we have to practice that in our daily lives also. And we have to practice it particularly where we least like to. It's very easy to be loving towards those whom we find lovable. It's more important to practice it towards those whom we do not find lovable and to practice it in all our encounters naturally we are not always going to be successful dislike will arise automatically almost instantaneously reactions and resistances will arise but once we have started practicing we will know that this is just a phase in our development, that eventually we'll be able to have just love in the heart. Practice means watching thought and emotion day in and day out from morning to night and substituting the unwholesome with the wholesome. That's practice. The meditation is a support system. Without it, we'll never make it. It's too difficult. With the meditation as a support system, we will make it. It's possible. The mind can have all the qualities that are pure if we make it concentrated and one-pointed So that we can stop thinking and start experiencing something new. But it needs our daily work on ourselves. Mindfulness, the bare attention, which has the four foundations, the one on the body, I've already mentioned. The one on the content of thought I've mentioned, this is the second foundation, Vedana Nupasana, the mindfulness of feeling. First one, mindfulness of body. Second one, feeling. Third one, (coughs) direction of mind. And fourth one, content (coughs) of mind. We practice mindfulness in the meditation in order to make it stronger, more one-pointed. But if we don't then use it in daily life, what are we practicing for? Just to get some aching knees? That's not a very good reason, is it? I will quickly mention the other two emotions. The third one is called Mudita Sympathetic Joy or Joy with Others and its far enemy is Envy and its near enemy is Hypocrisy Pretend Joy with Others comes easily when we see ourselves as part of the whole and it is the best antidote against depression. If one has joy with others, there is no way that one can become depressed. Because there's always something that one can be joyful about. But it's also a part of generosity and a part of reducing egocentricity. Now, egocentricity is not something that some people have and others don't. Everybody's got it. It's due to the ego illusion that there is some individual here. And we need small measures to attack that illusion. Otherwise, we won't be able to make any inroads on it, upon it. So we have generosity That's our most important ability to let go of that constant ego concern. Joy with others is generosity. Love and compassion are generosity. And the last one, the fourth one, upeka in Pali, is equanimity. And Its far far enemy is restlessness and upset, anxiety, and its near enemy is disinterest, which is a sort of shield one puts around one because one is afraid of one's negative emotions. People who put that shield around themselves, feel as if they were spectators to what's going on in life. They are only the spectator, they're never the participant. It's a very distinctive feeling that people have, that have, you are using that to protect themselves from their emotions, for the simple reason that they might have had some unfortunate repercussion of their emotions when they were quite willing to give themselves but also because they're afraid of their negative emotions. If we cannot give ourselves in love to others we will not be able to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the spiritual path either. It's one and the same giving. One's got to give self and it's got to be wholehearted. Half-hearted brings half-hearted results. Wholehearted brings wholehearted results, quite obvious. If we can't give ourselves to other people, if we want to hold ourselves back because of fear they might do something to us it's equally impossible to have that wholehearted commitment to a spiritual path of which the veracity we cannot yet prove to ourselves it's impossible to know What the end of this path is supposed to be like, we are not there. And yet, we need to give ourselves to that practice completely, without holding anything back. Only then do we get the results. And that is a matter of love and devotion. And the better we're able to love, the easier it is to be devoted. We can only be devoted to that what we love. The easier it is to follow instruction and the easier it is to actually let go of the thinking because we love what we're doing. If we have that ability, then we're fortunate. If we haven't, we need to develop it. Little by little, Many drops fill a bucket, little bit at a time. It is our most valuable asset which we carry within us, and we need to be aware of this very valuable ability which we have, so that we do not neglect its growth and cultivation that's enough for this evening there are any questions you can ask them now And what you said on compassion is very helpful because I feel it's almost impossible to be able to get to the perfection that you're suggesting and to be able to um, give out always without asking anything in return. (coughs) (coughs) It seems right at the moment beyond... um, (coughs) I do occasionally say as a mother with a young child, but it's very difficult to do with those adults, however hard one tries. I mean, one fights towards it, but one doesn't seem to proceed very far. No, it's a practice path. It's a training. Just as we train the mind, we train the heart. You have to keep on training it. There's no question that it isn't uh, perfect at this point in time. One has to train oneself. And, of course, it's difficult. If it were so easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> Nobody's doing it. Except a few people who are actually practicing. And it doesn't have to be a, um, a goody-goody situation in one's heart. It's the actual practice is that we recognize every time we have the negativity in the heart and substitute. The recognition of what's going on within and substitution. Over and over and over. Determination, perseverance and patience. That makes growth. And the growth that we find in ourselves may be small dimension, but certainly we'll find it. We'll find that growth if we keep at it. Any Everybody can do it. It's a matter of actually getting on with it. Anything else? Um, there are certain moments of gravity when there is no thoughts just a a word put away then I realize that there is this running commentary as if from a side like now now I'm without thoughts, now I'm seeing this, now there is that Mm. and it's there constantly it seems to come from from this side, so <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I don't know much at all. But even in the moments, as you say, when there seemed to be no thought, yes. there is a commentary saying there is no thought. Exactly, yes. yes. Well that's unfortunate, isn't it? Because <laughs> that's a thought. <laughs> I know, so <laughs> It has a lot to do with wholehearted commitment. You see, when we give ourselves to the actuality of concentration without thinking, we have to give ourselves up for that moment. We've got to go away at that time. And that is the difficulty. Drop in, let the mind fall into the breath as if it were a warm bath. You don't hold yourself back when you want to step into a warm bathtub. You go into it and are in it altogether. And you don't think about it should I, shouldn't I, is it good, is it bad, it's, it's warm water, it's a bathtub, none of that. You just go in. Okay, try. It's a matter of letting oneself actually go and not hanging on for dear life, to the thinking process, which supports the idea that I'm here. And that, of course, is a natural difficulty, but we have to overcome it. And you can't overcome it by um, this, by wanting to overcome it. You have to overcome it by letting go, by giving in by letting it be, and just going into that warm bath, See if that helps. If not, tell me again, I'll think of something else. <laughs> Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. yourself as your own best friend the one who is responsible for your own happiness and feel this friendship towards yourself caring concerned loving helpful and honest. Fill yourself from head to toe with love and friendship for yourself. And surround yourself with the care and concern that a best friend would have. Now put your attention on the person sitting nearest you in this room and be that person's best friend. Fill him or her from head to toe with the sincerity of friendship and love. And surround him or her with the care and concern that a best friend would have. And now think of yourself as the best friend of everyone who is present here. Fill everyone from head to toe with your friendship, your love. Surround everyone with your care and concern. Like a best friend has. Think of your parents and be their best friend. Fill them with your friendship, with your care and concern, helpfulness. Surround them with love. now think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you and be their best friend. Fill them with the depth and sincerity of your friendship, your care, your helpfulness. Embrace them with love. Feel yourself their best friend. Now think of all your good friends and be their best friend, not expecting the same in return. Fill them with your friendship, your love and concern. Surround them with your feelings of helpfulness and care Think of your neighbors at home, your colleagues at work, acquaintances, people you meet here and there, in shops, on the street. Be their best friend. Extend your friendship to all these people who are part of your life. Fill them with that feeling of togetherness, of helpfulness, of lovingness. Think of anyone whom you may find difficult, difficult to love, difficult to be with, difficult to accept, and think of yourself as that person's best friend, accepting, having compassion loving that person wanting to help as a best friend would Now think of all those people whose lives are far more difficult than ours. They may be in hospitals, in prison, refugee camps, they may be crippled, blind, hungry, without friends, and think of yourself. As the best friend for all these people, extending your friendship, your help, your care, giving them hope, filling them with love. now extend your friendship towards yourself. Feel that friendship for yourself, filling you and surrounding you. The care and concern, the helpfulness, the lovingness, let it fill you from top to toe and embrace you, giving you a feeling of safety and security. May beings everywhere be friends with each other.